Ephesians 4 and verse 1. <clears throat> I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye that I'm sorry, that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Verse 9. Now that he ascended, what is but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fulfill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and craftiness, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There is a lot packed in those 16 verses, and I can very easily probably send three months on, on the subject matter in there. But uh, I want to take a, a huge step backwards and I want to look at the unity that's being put forward. If we are a church and we are praying for revival, this revival will never happen if we have schisms in the church. Impossible. Can't happen. So what we're going to do is we're going to reread this and almost a, a sample study for what not to do, you'd go to the book of Corinthians. And if for a sample study of what to do, you'd go to the book of Philippians. Basically, one did everything to cause schisms and divisions, and one did uh, everything to have unity within the body of Christ. And we want to be more like the Philippians than the Corinthians. May the Lord bless us to do that. Okay? So with that being said, let's look at the first six verses, <clears throat> and we're going to make some comments here. The first six verses. Notice at the end of verse three, it says the unity of the spirit. Now, look at this. Just verse two for a second. When it says with all lowliness and meekness, do those two words remind you of anything from this past summer? Anybody remember a passage of scripture we spent a whole Sunday on? Actually, we spent three Sundays on the yoke equally yoke. What was Jesus? Lowly and meek in heart. There's Jesus right there, right? And loving, long-suffering, and fair-bearing one another, that's what we need to be. And you're thinking, does a church have to be that? Well, think about it. A husband and wife need to be that. 
when you put two sinners together in a marriage, you're going to have difficulties. And what we're going to have to do is you're going to have to be long-suffering and forgiving of one another because we will make mistakes. Okay? It's not when. It's, it's, I'm sorry, it's not if, it's just when. But notice what it says right after that. Right after that in verse 4, there are seven ones. Seven ones. Okay? One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. So we are striving as a local body to be unity of the Spirit. And in order to do that, hopefully we have all these one things in common. All right, let me tell you a story. A couple years ago, and I'm thinking it's about the time when Emery was a senior. Well, give or take a year, it was about that long ago. As you know, I, I taught in a Christian high school, and that's where Emory went. And once or twice a year, what I would do during basketball season is the school would get out somewhere around 3 o'clock, and I would just hang around there for a couple hours, and I would grade papers. And I would stick around until the basketball game started. And there was always two varsity games, the girls and the boys. And this particular night, the girls went first. So I stayed for the two basketball games. You know, most of these kids were in my class, and if I could show them support outside of class, they were just a little more affectionate and more kind and tender on the, on the, in the classroom. So it was just a good thing to do. Plus, I liked them, so I enjoyed watching them play basketball. But I watched the girls' varsity team, and it was an absolute pleasure to watch them. Those girls were phenomenal. Their passing was just amazing. I watched them work as a team when they would do a, a, a fast break, and I watched them fill the lanes and selfishly give the ball up to the one who was open. I watched them work a half-court offense. They would not take a shot until they made five or six passes, and they would not shoot until the person was absolutely wide open. It was just a pleasure watching them. And when I worked on defense, I watched them cover for one another. It was just fantastic. What It was just a passing clinic. It was just a pleasure. They were a unified team. Then there were the boys. <laughs> I wanted to say they have two good players, but that's wrong. They weren't two good players. They were two talented boys. Okay? Got it? They were ball hogs. And basically what happened was is the three were put a shaft to the side, and those two... And because the three were pushed off to the side, their defenders basically slid over and helped their two that were guarding these two guys that were talented. So it was basically two on five. What a frustrating game to watch. Now, those basketball players on the boys' varsity team all trotted out with the same jersey on. What do we call those jerseys? Uniforms, right? And they did the layups. And they did the passing drills. And they did the the stretching, and they did everything as a team. But then there was a tip-off, and guess what? The team stopped. It became two ball hogs. And a funny thing happened. The next year, both of them didn't play. One transferred to a different school, and the other one blew out his knee. And did you know they had a better team without their two most talented players than they had with their talented players? My friends, that was the Corinthian church. That's the Corinthian church. Now, what was interesting about the girls' team, they were not uniform, 
because they had this great big tall girl that played center, and they had these two little fast girls that played guard and brought the things up and did all the work, and they had this one on ADHD that played defense against the other team's strongest person. They were not the same, but they were unified. You understand? That's the Philippian church. That's what we want to be. Okay? So as I read this about what to do and what to do, what not to do, I'll probably relate it to sports. And I know some of you don't care about sports, but it's the best illustration I can come up with. Okay? Because ultimately, we're going to look at the Corinthian team, the team, you know what I mean, the Corinthian church, and we're going to see the things that they did. And we're going to see the frust- how frustrating it is to watch a boy, bunch of boys play basketball that way. What do you think it is for God looking down seeing a church operate that way? What do you think it is for your children watching us look, operate that way? What is it for the people on the side watching a church operate that way like that boys basketball team? It was terrible. Okay? So let's move forward and let's look at some of these things. Okay, the first thing I want you to know that this theme of oneness, we've already hit it two times this year. It's all throughout Scripture. I'm just going to give you some verses. Acts 4 and verse 32, this is talking about John and Peter. The multitude of them believed and were of one heart and one soul. Right now, we kind of don't know what that means. But can you believe me? That's probably a pretty good thing. Yes? One heart. And one soul. A church can be of one heart and one soul. Romans 15 and 6. Let the peace of God rule your hearts to which also ye are called in one body. That's one basketball team. The girls had a basketball team. The boys had, I don't know what you'd call it. Okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 13, by one spirit we are we all baptized into one body, made to drink into one spirit. My friends, that one body is not the elect family of God. That is not talking about regeneration. That whole chapter is talking about the local church with different gifts. When you join yourself to a New Testament church, the Spirit dwells in that church. I Hopefully it's a live church and the Spirit dwells in there. And when you join yourself to that church, you become part of that church. You drink of the Spirit in that church and you operate as one. Now the Corinthian church did not do that. They operated as a dozen. We want to operate as one. How will that happen? Okay. Philippians 2.2, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. One accord and one mind. That's the way we need to be as a church if the Lord's going to bless us in this revival effort. And then finally, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. One local body. A local body should be one. So when we go to scripture and we look at this description, it says the very first one is one body. I want you to think about it this way. What kind of body is it talking about? Well, I do believe that the churches that operated in the first century can be just like our churches in terms of oneness. Now, 
do they have podiums like this? Do they have microphones like this? Do they enjoy air conditioning like that? No, that's not it. But we can be one like them. And the only way we can be one like them is if we have the same captain and we have the same playbook. If we are operating with different playbooks, I'm I'm not familiar with Virginia, Virginia Tech football, but I do know there was a football coach named Frank Beamer that coached here for almost 30 years. Is that right? What if the team right now was out there practicing and they were practicing the current plays and the one, those couple of the players kept on saying, well, I'm going to use Frank Beamer's playbook, right? You notice the silliness in that? They would never have success on the field. One captain. But we can be one church and we can be one church just like those churches in the first century because we have the same captain and we have the same playbook and that playbook is called Holy Writ. That's it. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Let's go forward. The Corinthian church. Let me. I'll just give these to you. I just picked out a couple in the first five chapters. The division went all the way through chapter eleven and chapter fourteen. But I just picked out a couple. Some of their problems was is they didn't have the same mind. They didn't have the same source. They didn't have the same place of authority. They didn't have the same worship. They had preacher worship. Right? How can a church be of one when they have preacher worship? When one must say, oh, well, Paul preached on it this way. Apollos preached it on it this way. I mean, that, that is laying the ground for divisions of a church. Amen? Let me tell you something, okay? I was thinking about this. <clears throat> this, this is me and my silliness, okay? I, I know I'm totally going off the wall. I've got no scriptural authority to say this. But I'm going to say it anyway. There was a time in the Old Testament when Saul was beside himself and, he, and, he, and God somehow sent Samuel back to talk to him. Please don't ask me what happened because I don't know. It never happened before. It never happened afterwards. But somehow Samuel came back and talked to Saul. Okay? I'm telling you, as God is my witness, if I'm up in heaven... This is like 30, 40 years from now. I'm up in heaven, and my sons are quoting me in a church. I'm going to say, God, you know that thing you did to Samuel? Do it to me. Send him back so I can cuff him upside the head. Amen? Use this, because if you start quoting me and using me as authority, you know what you're going to do? You're laying the groundwork for division within your church. There is only one captain, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's only one playbook, and that's our scripture right here. We don't get into arguments. I like the second London Confession. Well, I'm actually preferable to the first London Confession. Well, I don't like either one of them. I'm going with the Midland Confession. Personally, I like Hassel's history. You're kind of getting quiet now, okay? But has that gone in churches in the, that goes on, doesn't it? We will never have a united body as long as we have our quoting different. Because every one of us, there's a lot of us that grew up in different churches with different pastors and they have favorite pastors. You don't bring them here, you bring scripture here. They've got no authority. 
you, now, now don't get me wrong, don't go to extreme. We share our stories. Sometimes some man gave me advice. I share that advice. I, I got that. But I'm talking about authority of the Word of God, and that is Scripture and Scripture alone. Okay? I want us to be that one church. I want Scripture to be that source. When we have a difference of opinion, yeah, I'll even share this. <clears throat> when I first met Deborah, there was a man that I work with. And we both met someone about the same time. He, he was just single. He was about 10 years younger than I. And I was a widower. And I met Deborah, and he met this girl, and we both met at about the same time. And if you know Deborah and my story, we met, were introduced around October, and we were married by March. He was blown away. He said, how could you possibly get married that fast? And I said, Scripture. Because she was totally committed to Scripture, and I was totally committed to Scripture. So when we had difference of opinions, this was our tiebreaker. This is the only way you will have unity. That's why divorce rates are so high, even among Christians, because we in a nation have given over to the I feel. The thing is, is you get married and you don't always feel the same way as you do when you got married as you do 20 years later. And couples go like this. And if you're starting to, if you're, if you're studying scripture, you should be coming together like this. Amen. It's the same thing with a local church. We don't come armed with all these sources of men. There's one thing that's going to keep us united, and that's the Word of God. Okay? And that's exactly what was going on in Corinth. In chapter 1, verse 10, it says, the same mind and the same judgment. This church, this is what you're supposed to be doing. They weren't doing that. There's a phrase in there in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 1. Paul said this. <laughs> Can you imagine your pastor saying that? I thank God I baptized none of you. <laughs> Golly. I thank God I baptized none of you clowns. You know, that, 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 I put that in there. But that's kind of like what he said. The, the fussing going on, they were just all over the place. Okay? There's no one in here that I can say that to. Okay? And I hope there's no one in there I'll ever say that of. But right, that's, that's it, okay? There's man's wisdom and there's the Holy Ghost. We can quote men or we can quote scripture. There's preacher worship. If you're, I don't even know who the coach for Virginia Tech is now. But don't quote Frank Beamer, coach your coach, okay? 10,000 instructors, but one gospel. And then finally, the bread of sincerity and truth. That's where we're going. Okay? We need truth. There's only one source of truth, and it's right here. Okay? Okay, <clears throat> I want to show you something. I went through the scripture in the Old Testament, and I found two times when there was division in the church. Okay? It was between the old and the young. I thought this was interesting. One time the old were right, and one time the old weren't right. <laughs> and that's usually the way it works out. Okay? But there was a time, this is in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 6 through 12. 6 through 11. Solomon's replacement come along 
Now, now Sol- we think Solomon was a pretty good king. In a lot of ways, he was a good king. And they flourished with them underneath him economically. But you know what? He had some pretty expensive tastes. And he taxed very heavily. And he needed a lot of help. And he required, a, he, he, he drafted a lot of people into his service. And along comes his replacement. His replacement's having a decision, what should I do? What should I do? And the older counselors said, ease up and they'll be loyal and they'll follow you. The young men come along and said, bear down on them. Says, you thought that was heavy under Solomon? Give them more weight. Well, the new king took the younger peoples and it blew up. There was a division. So that was one time where they had differences of opinion. How could you fix it? The way you fix it? is you hit your knees and you pray James 1.5 and you get for one united answer. Amen? Okay, let's go to the next one. There was another case in Ezra 3.12 and 13. This is when there was a difference between the young people and the old people. This time the old ones got it wrong. Amen? What happened was is they had built Solomon's temple and some time went by and it got destroyed. And then they started rebuilding it about 70 years later. And there were some people around that remembered the first one. And when they saw the new temple that was building up, they were weeping and hollering and just carrying on. And says, oh, this is not like the old days. And the young people were going, yippee, we got a place to worship. And scripture says, their howling of the cheering and the crying was so loud people heard and they didn't know what was going on. Amen? Well, how do you fix that? How do you fix that? Well, how do you fix that? As you can think, if my grandchildren have a place to worship, I need to quench the old days and be thankful they have a place to worship the Lord. That is the only way we can all get on the same page. Amen? And if we get on the other page, nothing's going to happen. And you know who's going to pay? Our grandchildren. Amen? Okay. 1 Timothy 4.1 and 2 Timothy 4.3. There were some that departed from the faith. They gave heed to seducing spirits. They were heaping teachers on themselves. They had itching ears. They were tired with Captain Jesus and Scripture. They wanted something new. That'll lead to division every time. Because the new thing you want might be the new thing another person wants. Joshua 22, 11 through 12. Actually, read that whole chapter. I, I, I keep on coming time. Every time you talk about divisions, I go back to that chapter. Because there was a civil war among Israel. Two and a half tribes did something the ten and a half tribes were angry at, and they were ready to start a civil war. You're saying, Brother Dolph, I know how to head ten and a half, and two and a half is thirteen. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and each of them was given a portion. That's why the total is 13. Okay? But you got to read that chapter, and you got to find out how they resolved it. You know how they resolved it? The unity and the oneness. Same captain, same scripture, long-suffering, forbearing, forgiving one another. There you were. Okay? All right. 
And then finally, 2 Timothy 1.3, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 1.3, the charity of you all toward each other abound. All right, let's move on. Okay, now we're still in Ephesians 4. We've just looked at verses 1 through 6. The focus there was unity. The focus there was oneness. Let's look at this passage here from 7 to 10. But unto every one of us is given according to the same measure the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. What gifts did he give to men? I don't think he's talking about some had the gift of exhortation, some had the gift of prophecy, some had the gift of tongues, some had the gift of uh, edification. That's not the gifts. Let's look at the gifts he gave. This is what I think the gifts are, given the context. He's talking about Jesus ascending and descending. You know what the gifts are? The first gift was Jesus Christ came to earth and led a sinless life. That's a gift to you. Jesus kept his Father's will. He lived a sinless life. He was able to present himself to the Father, making a perfect sacrifice for the elect, satisfying justice. You don't think that's a gift? He did that for you. Number two, he came to earth. He lived among men. He was mocked. He was abused. He experienced separation from God while on the cross, and then he died. That's a gift he gave you. It's a gift he gave all all of you. And if that doesn't unite us, I don't know what will. Amen? Gift number three. Jesus rose from the dead. Do you realize when he rose from the dead, other people rose from the dead, but when he rose from the dead, his took. Everybody else that rose from the dead died. And when he rose from the dead, he conquered sin, he conquered the grave, he conquered its cursing, he conquered aging, he conquered death. That's a gift he gave you. And then finally, the fourth gift that he gave you, he ascended into heaven and right now, He is sitting on the right hand of God. Well, he left, he sent us the comforter to abide with us until his return. But nevertheless, he reigns and he intercedes for us at the right hand of God. That's another gift he gives you. My friends, that's the gift he's given us. When he descended and he ascended into heaven. Let's get that in perspective. To the things we, the, the Corinthian church were fussing at one another about. And you think, wow, those are so minuscule compared to those great gifts that God gave. Okay, let's go to the next section. I want to read 11 through 14. I'm still in Ephesians 4. I want to read 11 through 14. Spend a little bit of time here. (coughs) And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. I want to stress here that that and between pastors and teachers, I believe that's one office. He didn't give pastors, comma, and teachers. He gave pastors and teachers one office, okay? As to my, my wife, I'm her husband and pastor. It's, it's the same office, same person, okay? Why did he give us? Well, he gave it for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in into what? Unity. There's that word again the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son unto a perfect man. Let's look at some of these things. 
Okay, there's four things that he gave the church, the local church. Not all of them, I believe, are still in effect. I think a couple of them are. Apostles, <clears throat> the church's foundation. I don't think we have apostles anymore. He gave prophets. We got a completed book of prophecy. I don't think we have that anymore. Okay, he gave evangelists churches and church planners. I believe he got some people with that kind of burden and pastors and teachers that definitely he's got. Amen. So those are the people he gave. Why did he give these offices? Well, it says right here, he gave it to share the curriculum. What's the curriculum? For the perfecting of the saints. Now again, the word perfecting in scripture usually means fully equipping or maturing. There was only one perfect being that was Jesus Christ I can preach till my, I, on my head and turn around and spin and for 100 years and I'll never make you that kind of perfect. But you know, I can make you perfect. I can fully equip you with everything you need. And I can do that through scripture. And I hope you become perfect in that you become mature in Christians and you're still not squabbling about preachers. Those are immature saints. Okay? For the edifying of the body. Edify means to build up. Grounding believers, so you're not tossed about. If I'm tossed, constantly tossed in you new material and new authorities, you're going to be tossed all over the place. But if we have the same anchor, that tossing will stop. That's what the curriculum is. That's what it's for. And then finally, till we unite in faith and knowledge unto a complete and full man. Now, one thing is that I'm talking about headmasters and teachers, and I'm talking about curriculum. There's no graduation date. This is the school we're in for the rest of our life. We're constantly growing. We're constantly maturing. We're getting closer to our Lord. We learn more about our Lord. And I can see us coming back in a few years and coming through this same epistle in this time and spending a whole week on just a half a chapter to really bear down in some of these verses, spending a whole week on one or two verses and just getting it deeper and thicker and richer and more applications. But right now, <coughs> I am stressing <coughs> because our big picture for the year is praying for revival, and I think we have to understand this one oneness. Okay? So there we are. Till we all unite in the unity of the faith. Last two verses of chapter 4. This better sound familiar? I think I preached this verse, verse 16, every quarter for the first five years I was your pastor. This, I sure hope this rings a bell with some of you. Amen? This is what I think is an incredible description of the local church. I've even gone so far as to draw a picture of a circle on a dry board for you. Saying the church is a circle and I put all the dots around the circle and those are the members and they're all connected one another and they're all effectual. They're all connected and they're all compact. They're short. They're thick. They're existent. But anyway, let's read the passage. And the focus here is the love part. Got it? But speaking the truth in love. I can speak the truth as a dictator. I can speak the truth as a legalist. Or I can speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love may grow up 
into him all things, which is the head, even Christ. So there's our curriculum, the truth. And there's our headmaster, our captain, Jesus Christ. There it is. That's our basketball team. That's our football team. That's our church. One head, one playbook, one curriculum. That's us. Okay? Let's look at the nouns describing the members. Just, just in verse 16. There's four of them. It says the whole body. It says every joint, every part, the body unto itself. God, I just feel like I'm inadequate. I'm just a hanger on her. God, I've gotten so old, what good can I do anymore? God, I am so young to the faith, I don't know anything. There's nothing I can do to help these people. Guess where all three of those come from? Satan, that's right. They come from Satan. If it did, it said it would say the whole body except the newly converts. It would say the whole body except those over four score years. It doesn't say that, does it? No, it says every part, every joint. Okay, you think, does that me? <laughs> yeah, that even includes the knuckle and the knuckleheads, all right? It's every person. A church is designed. That's what God calls the parts of the body. Young, old, male, female, new converts, old converts. We need y'all. Let's look at the verbs. Look at the verbs. These verbs describe the placement of the members in the church. Fitly joined, compacted, effectual working in measure, and then itself in love. Look at those verbs. Fitly joined. He put us together. Please think of us as a stone wall and not a brick like on the side of this building. Yes, bricks are uniform. Every one is the exact same length, same height, and same width. And you put them and you put one on the other. And if you get a couple out of order, it doesn't make a lick of difference. But God did not call us bricks. He called us stones. And he called us lively stones. And when you do that, you have to look and you got to put them together and you got to slide them so this jut right here fits in this little indentation and you work it together. Well, that's what God did when he made the church and he put you in it. He had a special place just for you where you're supposed to go. Fitly joined, compacted, measured, and in love. Four, look at the verbs describing the contribution. The contribution. The effectual working. Supplieth. Maketh increase. And edifying. My friends, there's some wood getting chopped down in this church. Look what's going on. Look what the members are doing. We got we to look in the mirror and we got to ask what have I supplied? Who have I supplied to another member? And, and, and you're thinking, I can't. You can pray for them. Amen? You can write a little note of encouragement. You can make a telephone call of encouragement. 
you can supply something. You can maketh increase. You can edify. You can build up. You can encourage. And the effectual working, it makes the body go forward. Okay? We just looked at a big chunk of Scripture. Chapter 4, 1 through 16 is huge. But the theme there is the oneness of the local church. It's oneness in purpose. It's oneness in head. It's oneness in in objective. It's oneness in activity. Okay, let's go back to our basketball example. That girls team, and I believe at the time that, 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 that group that went through, so I think the year I was talking about when Emory was a senior, I think that group were ninth graders. Okay? Ninth graders, kind of young for high school, 9, 10, 11, 12. They were the youngest. and They were really good. They were fun to watch. But what was neat to watch them is over four years, which I got to, guess what happened their junior year? They played for the state championship and they lost. Guess what happened in their senior year? They played for the state championship and won. And as they had success, and as certain players were offered scholarships, the ones that were offered scholarships did not become ball hogs. They still passed. They still gave it up. They gave it passes up to less. They could pad their points to ensure their scholarship to get maybe a scholarship to even a finer school. They didn't do that. They kept going. And it was that team, it was so fun to watch them. I'll make a confession. During this process, I was sitting in one of the games and the head of the school came up to me and says, hey, what do you think? And I says, I think you ought to take the girls basketball coach and make him coach of the boys' basketball team. He looked at me like that. <laughs> I said, they're running a passing clinic, and look what these guys are doing. So, we can laugh at a basketball team, can't we? But I pray that we don't laugh at a local church. I pray that we become the church that's being described in the first half of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. 